Welcome to the Apostles Houston podcast, and thanks for listening. As a community following Jesus in Houston, we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the kinds of things Jesus did. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we invite you to join us for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. in Houston Heights. For more information, visit us online at ApostlesHouston.org. Well, good morning. Uh, Happy Labor Day weekend. And uh, uh, I know many folks are traveling, and we pray that everybody has a great restful uh, time away if they couldn't be with us this morning. And also we'll have uh, our kids will stay in. So typically uh, you kids from five up through eighth grade, you guys would head out on the side door here and have some time to talk about Jesus together. And then you'd come back. We're gonna, we're gonna, we don't wanna leave you. We want you to stay with us this morning. So we're gonna have what we kind of call a family service. We'll all worship in here together. Uh, and we're gonna talk uh, about Jesus, the bread of life. That's what we're gonna be looking at. So if you wanna grab a Bible, uh, there should be one near you, maybe in the seat back if you, uh, if you need to pull one of those out and look at John chapter six, verse 22 through 40, those verses that I just read. And uh, as I was thinking about these verses this morning, um, I was thinking a lot about food, um, thinking about eating. And so uh, that got me to thinking about a, a saying, and I'm, I'm curious if any of you kids have heard this saying before. Uh, the saying is, you are what you eat. Kids, have you ever had anybody tell you that, you are what you eat? Anybody ever heard that saying? You know what comes to my mind when I hear that is, uh, is the movie uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. You guys know why that comes to my mind when I think of this? Does anybody remember who Violet was in that movie? Raise your hand if you've seen Charlie and Chocolate Factory. Anybody remember who, who's Violet? Somebody, somebody tell me who Violet was and what happened to her. She turned into a what? She turned into a blueberry, right? She ate a piece of gum that tasted like blueberries and she turned into a blueberry and they had to roll her out. Do you remember they had to roll her out and do you remember what they had to do to her? They had to dejuice her, right? Because she, she literally became what she had eaten. She became a, a blueberry. And so I was thinking about this because this saying, it's, it's something we, we probably have heard before. Maybe we've even said it before. Um, but it's, it's a weird saying. You are what you eat. Um, and so I just was thinking uh, just how strange it is and how glad I'm, I'm glad it's not literally true. Right? Uh, so, you know, this morning I would be standing here preaching to a bunch of donuts and kolaches and a few cups of coffee, uh, if that were true. You'd be looking at a stack of Oreos or maybe a giant bowl of ice cream. Uh, and so, yeah, true confession. So we're, we're, we're glad that's not true, but it does resonate with us at a certain level, doesn't it? This, this idea of you are what you eat. There's something to this idea about the fact that we consume things and those things actually shape us and form us in really significant ways. They help make us who we are, what we take in, what we feed on, uh, what we take into our minds, what we take into our hearts, um, the things that we take into our bodies are all factors in what we are becoming. And so we, we, we talk about this pretty regularly here at Apostles. We talk about the fact that we feel called to follow Jesus, and following Jesus means being with Jesus and becoming like Jesus and doing the kinds of things that Jesus did. And so becoming is, is part of the way that we think about um, our life together. And, and the question we want to ask often is, who are we becoming? We're all becoming like something or someone. And the question is, will we be intentional about who that person is? And so... I want you to think about your week 
this past week. Uh, think about the things that you consumed this week. Not just the food that you ate, but what did you watch? Think about what you flipped through on your phone. What did you read this week? What did you listen to? What kind of music? What kind of conversations did you have with friends or with family? Because all those things are like drips, right? They're drips in our bucket of becoming. They're filling us up and shaping us into the men and women that we are becoming, for better or for worse. So Jesus never actually said this quote. He never said, you are what you eat. Um, But he said something I think that's very similar and actually even more strange than you are what you eat. In John chapter 6, the verses we just read, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He's saying, in other words, uh, if you want to become like me, if you want to be who you were made to be as men and women in Christ, you actually have to do what? You have to eat him. He's saying you are what you eat, and what you eat matters, and what I'm telling you is you need to eat me. You need to eat Jesus. Now, what in the world did Jesus mean when he said he wants us to eat him? That sounds so bizarre. Now, Jesus was not a cannibal, right? He's not saying literally eat me, but he is telling us something really important about uh, this idea of what we eat and how it shapes us and who we are becoming. And so, again, if you want to take your Bible and look at John chapter 6, we're going to jump in here in verse 22 where, where I started and just ask, what is it that Jesus is wanting to say to us when he says these strange words, I am the bread of life. Eat me, eat my flesh, drink my blood. What is he saying? Um, so when we encounter this crowd, uh, you may have kind of begun to piece this together if you're somewhat familiar with the story. If you're not, Jesus has just fed miraculously 5,000, at least 5,000 people. These huge crowds have begun to gather around Jesus because they thought Jesus was amazing. And the way that Jesus talked about life and about God was so different than anything they'd ever encountered. So they wanted to be near Jesus. And so they started to follow him all over the countryside. And there was this moment where they were all gathered to, to hear him teach and they were hungry. And so Jesus took a, a, a few pieces of fish and a few loaves and he fed over 5,000 people. So that's what's happened right before what we read. And so that's why it says on the next day. So on the next day, after that's already happened, what happens? They get hungry again, right? This crowd continues to follow them. They're hungry. They're hungry for more food, but also for more miracles because Jesus had been doing all these amazing signs and wonders and miracles. He's been healing people and delivering people from evil and and, and feeding them with food that was miraculously uh, provided. And so what happens is they come, they say, we want more. We want more, Jesus. We're hungry. And, And verse 24 tells us that they're seeking Jesus But interestingly, they're actually not seeking Jesus. And that becomes really clear in what unfolds in chapter 6. They're not actually seeking Jesus. Their hunger isn't ultimately for him. It's for what what he can do for them. It's not for him. It's for what he can give them. And that's a huge difference. That's a huge difference that we need to be aware of. Jesus puts his finger on this when he says in verse 26, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. 
Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. So Jesus is saying, look, what's driving you to come to me right now in this moment, it is not your heart, it's your stomach. And Jesus is the master of exposing motives in our own hearts. And what he exposes here is is kind of a short-sighted, self-serving motive of the crowd. They want to turn Jesus basically into kind of like a miracle vending machine, right? You just come to you and you give me a miracle. You give me a sign. You give me food. That's what I need from you, Jesus. They have an appetite, right, for bread, but not for Jesus. And understand why that is. Like, how did this happen? How, how, How does this happen for the crowd? How does it happen for us? Because I think if we're honest, maybe we struggle with some of the same things. We just want things from God, but do we really want God himself? And to understand, I think we have to go all the way back to the beginning of the story. Not the story in John 6, but back to the beginning of the story, the Bible. All the way back to the book of Genesis. In Genesis 1.29, it says, God said this, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that's on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed and its fruit. And if, if, you're, if you have the Texas literal translation, it also says, and beef cattle, right in there, just in the list. You shall have all these things for food, right? So we, we, we say we want all of that for food. We're created, in other words, to eat. It's right here at the beginning. And we, we, we take that for granted, right? We eat all the time. We eat every day. We, it's just humans eat. Living things eat. But just step back and think about that this is how God made it. He didn't have to make it that way. He made it this way. He made us to eat. To live, we have to eat. And what do we eat? We actually eat God's creation. Right? God made things for us to eat. Now, just how amazing is that? We, think about it this way. We take the world into our body, and then it gets transformed in our body into Flesh and blood and life. That's how, that's how God made it to work. I love what one uh, ancient Christian writer said. He said, the world, in other words, creation is the divine love of God made food. Right? Made life for man. You know, this is a sermon for foodies, okay? If it, it, this is amazing. Divine love made food, made life for man. So, so I say all that because in a very real way, we are made to eat. We always have been. God made us and he placed us in his creation uh, as if it were a banqueting table. And actually, that's the picture we get at the beginning of the story of the Bible. And if you read all the way through the Bible and you come to the end of the Bible, you know what's at the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation, what the picture is? It's a banquet. It's a feast. At the end of all things, we get to sit in the presence of Jesus and we get to enjoy this banquet, the feast to end all feasts. There's eating. And so this, this, this picture is really powerful, but, but something's happened, right? Something's happened between the, the creation, eat, this feast that we have, and the feast that we'll have one day with Jesus. Something's gone wrong in between. Something's gone wrong with our God-given appetite. Alexander Schmemann in his book, uh, For the Life of the World, says that this crowd in John chapter six that comes to Jesus with an appetite for bread and miracles reveals one of the deepest and darkest consequences of living in a fallen and broken world. A world that has chosen not to trust in and obey God. He writes this, he says, one of the consequences of our sin is not only that we are disobedient to God, 
It's that we have ceased to be hungry for God and hungry for him alone. We have ceased to see that our whole life actually depends on the whole word as a sacrament of communion with God. See, you and I are hungry people because we were made to hunger. Not just for food, but for life, for meaning, for purpose, for joy. We we were created with an appetite for God himself. But like the crowd that came to Jesus that day clamoring for bread, we've lost our appetite for God. And like the crowd, we're left seeking and searching in our lives for things that we hope will actually satisfy us. And our disordered appetites, then, it drives us. It drives us to seek these, these things that will fulfill us, things not God, things other than God that, that will give us, we think, what we long for. And, and I think whether you're a believer, whether you're a follower of Jesus, uh, I think everybody has a sense of this. I think everybody has this deep down sense that this is true, that we long for more in this life. We long for something deep down. We know that somehow, even if we wish we could say otherwise, something in our hearts is still longing for more. It's why I think it's so easy for us to, uh, to kind of fall into certain traps in our lives. For example, I think it's so easy to fall into the, the, the trap of endlessly scrolling through our social media, right? Our, our checking our feeds, checking our texts, checking, 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 because we get sucked into this vortex, right, of time and energy focused on kind of the superficial. You know, it's, it's, it's FOMO, right? We don't wanna miss out. We, we wanna see what everybody else is doing. We wanna see the, the, the significance of their life. We wanna see if they're happy. We wanna see if they look fulfilled because we long for that. And then we, we feel depressed because we don't have that. And so we have this hunger that's drying us. I think it drives us in all kinds of ways. I think it's why we give more and more and more hours to work or more and more hours to study if we're a student instead of time to rest, time to things like relationship because we're, we're desperate for our lives to matter, to, to be significant, to count for something. And so we're trying to find that thing. We're trying to find that it and we're hungry. Some of us, it's a fear of being alone. You know, maybe you're, you're single and you're, uh, the danger for you is the trap of giving yourself, right? Giving yourself emotionally and physically to a person, not because they love you and are committed to you, right? But in hopes that you don't have to be alone anymore. And married or single, we all want to be seen. We want to be heard. We want to be loved. There's a hunger deep within us deeper than any person could fill. C.S. Lewis once said this. He said, there are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give you what you long for, but they never keep their promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love or get married or first dream of some grand vacation, he writes, or first take up some subject that excites us, they all ultimately disappoint. He says, I'm not talking, just to clarify, he says, I'm not talking about things that we would ordinarily call unsuccessful or unhappy marriages or bad vacations and so on. He says, I'm speaking about the best possible versions of all those things. And this is what, this is what gripped me, what he said. He said, there's always something that we're grasping for 
And in that moment of longing, that thing fades away in the reality. The spouse may be a good spouse. The scenery has been excellent. It's turned out to be a good job, but it has evaded us. In this world, we are constantly reaching out for it because we were made to reach out for it. We were made to to long for more than we can have in any other place, in any other thing. And so we are left in this place where we are hungry, starving people. And that's who Jesus is talking to here. He's talking to all of us, hungry people. And so what's the solution? That's why Jesus says, here's the solution. I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not, what? Hunger. So people who are hungry, come to Jesus. Jesus alone can satisfy our deepest hunger. When the hungry crowds came to seek Jesus, he encouraged them to look beyond the bread, beyond the miracle. And he told them that the whole point of him feeding them the day before was actually to reveal this hunger. I mean, Jesus is such a master teacher. Nothing goes to waste. He wants to draw them into this place where they realize they're hungry for him. In fact, Jesus says that everything God has been doing all through human history has been pointing to the one thing that can satisfy the hunger of the human soul. Truly, truly, he says. Truly, I say to you, it wasn't Moses that gave bread to the Israelites in the wilderness. It was my father that gave the true bread from heaven. And what is the true bread? From the bread of God is he who comes from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus says, I am. I am the bread of life. See, when you were hungry, it wasn't somebody else that fed you, is what he's saying. And there's no one else that can feed us. It's God and God alone. There was manna, right, that came down from heaven, literally a gift from God, but all that was pointing in the story to the true bread, to the true manna, to Jesus Christ himself. And so that's how Jesus can enter into the story here in the Gospels, and he can say, all that was pointing to me. All the prophets, all of the books that you've read, all the stories you've heard, they're all pointing to me, the true bread of life. So Jesus says, to satisfy our hunger, we have to eat him. Again, how bizarre. He literally says, eat my flesh. To Jesus, to eat Jesus, what, what does that mean? What does it mean to eat Jesus? It means to believe in him. It, it means that he took on the flesh of humanity and, and took on our sin and that he went to the cross and that if we confess our need for him, our hunger for him, that he alone can satisfy, he will forgive us and he will fill us, fill us to overflowing with his Holy Spirit. To eat Jesus is to surrender your life to him. To eat Jesus is to follow him and to take up his way of life. To eat Jesus is is to make Jesus your everything. Most Sundays when we gather here, um, we end our service in the same way every time. We eat. We come to this table of the Lord Jesus and we eat bread. Why do we do that? We drink wine. Why do we do that? We do that because Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. And we're hungry people. And we can't be fed anywhere else. And so we come and we eat and we drink and it satisfies us and it strengthens us and it reminds us that God loves us, that he is for us and with us, will never leave us and that he's demonstrated his love for us and that while we were far from him, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. 
And so we eat him and we receive this radical love demonstrated on the cross and we become one with him. His flesh and his blood become part of who we are. We take him into ourselves and in some way that I don't fully understand, right? Divine love is made food and made life for us. That's what happens every week when we come to this table. We feed on Jesus. We believe he alone can feed us because he alone loves us. We feed on Jesus when we trust that he alone is a source of life and we're made to find contentment and joy and hope in him. Only Jesus can satisfy your hunger. I wanna end by just asking you to consider this question this morning. Are you hungry for Jesus? I know you're hungry. We're all hungry. What I want you to consider is, are you hungry for Jesus? Maybe you're here this morning and you know you're hungry and you know you're not satisfied. You've been trying to find meaning and joy and hope and all kinds of other things. But maybe there's only one person that can actually satisfy you. Maybe you could consider Jesus for the first time, that he can satisfy your hunger. Maybe you've grown up in the church, you've been around Christianity a long time, and you've heard everything I've said today before. But I want to encourage you, just as as I need to be encouraged, am I hungry for Jesus? It's so easy to let other things creep in and and draw us away, and, and we think they can feed us and satisfy us, but they can't. They can't. Only Jesus can. And then finally, I just want to say something to those of you who are parents. You know when you get on an airplane and uh, they tell you, you know, if the mask drops down, uh, what do they tell you to do if you have a child with you? What are you supposed to do first? Put your mask on first, right? I know a lot of people who've come to church after they had kids. Really, maybe they've come back to church after they've had kids. Praise God. I'm so glad. Um, But often what I hear in that is uh, because we have kids and we want them to hear about God. We want them to hear about Jesus, right? And I just want to say, put the mask on yourself first, okay? This church wants to come alongside you and your kids. Parents, we need all the encouragement we can get. It's hard being a parent right now and encouraging your kids and, and teaching them to follow Jesus, but we can't feed kids if we're starving, we need Jesus. We need to feed on him. So just I want to encourage you in that. To close, I just want to say this. You and I were made to eat. We were made to eat. Our souls hunger for God. That means we are hungry for something this world cannot give us. Ultimately, we're hungry for Jesus and only he can satisfy. And so let's hunger for him together as we seek to follow him. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we we thank you for the precious gift of your word that is life. Lord, that we can feed on your word and be uh, invited into this life with you. Lord, not just know about you, but know life with you and in you. And Lord, that you can feed us and we are hungry. Lord, we're hungry. Lord, maybe we're tired. Maybe we're feeling apathetic. Maybe we feel confused. Maybe we're not sure about circumstances in our life. Lord, maybe we have questions we don't have answers to, but we know that we can come to you and you will feed us with the truth, and you'll feed us with grace. You'll give us yourself, and that's what we need, Lord. Give us an appetite for Jesus. I pray that in his name. Amen. Amen.
Thanks again for listening. We hope this resource has been helpful to you. If you have questions or are just looking for more information, you can check out our website at apostleshouston.org.